So I'm going to start with a question. How many of you made a COVID decision? And when I mean a COVID decision, I mean a decision that you would not have made had it not been for COVID. You know, one of the decisions that we made this last year and a half is that we actually adopted and rescued a dog, which is something I believe a lot of people did in COVID. In fact, a lot of the shelters were empty. A lot of the rescue agencies didn't have dogs. Praise God. But we had been without a dog for two years, and I think it was COVID that caused us to go and rescue a dog. And what we did was we, we started looking and my wife found a dog through an agency called Just Giants. They just, they rescue large breed dogs. And, and they're actually out of Oswego, Illinois. And, and she found a dog on there, her name was Daisy. And Daisy was an English Mastiff. And, and she was a, a stray on the streets of Fort Worth, Texas. See, they believed Daisy was used as a breeding dog, meaning that they just bred her to get other English Mastiffs. And then when they thought she was finished, they just dumped her. Someone dumped her on the streets of Fort Worth. And she was on the streets of Fort Worth for months because she was being reported to animal rescue coming into people's backyards and scavenging for food and, 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 and trying to like play with their dogs, but people would chase her off and, and it was for months and they couldn't catch her because she was elusive. I can testify to that. But then they actually caught her on Christmas Eve, 2019. And she was 112 pounds, skin and bones. And they brought her into the animal shelter and they called Just Giants. And one of their rescue rescuers who lives in Fort Worth, Julie, came and got Daisy and brought Daisy into her home and, and fed Daisy and, and nursed Daisy actually back to health. And then they posted her picture and, and it just so happened in April of 2020, we were going to Austin, Texas for the birth of our, our granddaughter. And it was in the midst of that trip that we actually were able to stop by Fort Worth, see Daisy and then pick her up on the way home. And one of the things that we noticed about Daisy when we got her home was that she was still very leery about strangers as she had grown to be those many months on the streets in Texas. And one of the, in fact, one of the reactions she would have if she were in the backyard and I would open the back door, her first instinct was to run because that's what she had done. And, and I, I'm, I'm glad to say that, that she has gotten over that somewhat. You can still startle her and her first reaction will be to run, but she has changed. And, and one of the reasons, one of the major reasons that, that Daisy changed was because we made another COVID decision and we decided to get a puppy. That's right, we got a, a puppy, an English Mastiff, a male. We got him in eight weeks, his name was Ravi, and Ravi came home and he wanted to be friends with Daisy. And this is what he would do. He would always bite and lick at her mouth and he was relentless. He was relentless and Daisy did what she always did. She just turned her head and was like, I don't want anything to do with you. Because Daisy didn't know how to play. Daisy never really learned how to be a dog. Because dogs, were created hardwired to be pack animals, to be with other dogs, to be in a community with their owners and, and possibly other dogs. That's what they were created for. That's, that's how they exist. That's how they flourish as animals. But Daisy hadn't learned that. She didn't know that. She'd learned just how to survive on her own. And here this little puppy just kept pestering and pestering and pestering. He would never leave her alone. He was relentless. In fact, he wanted to do everything she did and, and he would lay with her every chance he got and he would mimic her every chance he got. And, and she finally started warming up to him a little bit, at least tolerating him. And she actually started training him 
because she was calm. Even though she was very leery of people, she was a calm, sweet, she is a calm, sweetheart of a dog. And she trained him what it is to be calm. And, and if you've ever had a, a male, non-neutered male, you know calm is what you want them to be. But Robbie still kept trying to teach Daisy. And even when he got larger than she was, he kept at it. And it got to the point, it was hysterical because he was so big, she couldn't ignore him. And so she actually started returning some of his affection. It was a marvelous thing to see. And sadly to report, it was just about two months ago when Robbie was about not quite 15 months old, he contracted an infection and it had attacked his immune system and um, we had to put him down. It was a sad day in our house, but there were some really cool things that came out of that. And that is what we hadn't seen in those 18 months that they were together was the change in Daisy. Robbie was such a big personality, <laughs> such a goober that you didn't see Daisy and you didn't see the progress she was making. And you just saw that after Ravi was gone. We saw her doing things that he used to do. He would greet us at the door. She never did. And now she's greeting us at the door. She's actually getting up, walking over to us and standing by us and nuzzling us and wanting to be petted and, and rolling over and wanting her belly to be scratched and actually following us around the house and actually wanting to go with us. We saw him actually change her, and we didn't see that until just recently. And, and, and why I tell you this story is because I think it teaches us a couple of things. I think the first thing that it teaches us is that breakthrough moments that we see, breakthrough moments that we saw in her, don't just happen all of a sudden, but they're the result of these tiny actions that happen over time that we, we, we don't see all the things that are happening before, but then we see this big breakthrough moment and it's like, whoa, but it's not just this one moment. It happens over time. You know, another example of that is bamboo. You know, bamboo grows underground, creating this massive root system for five years before it ever sprouts up. But then when it does, within 60 days, it grows to like nine feet tall. It's working, even though you don't see it's working. Daisy was returning and, and learning and, and living into some of her dogness in those 18 months that she was with Ravi, things that we didn't see. And now, boom, here she is, more like a dog than she's ever been. And I would say more happy and flourishing as a dog than, than she's ever been. Similarly, habits that we, we, we work at over time appear, can sometimes make, appear to make no difference whatsoever. And, and sometimes as they do that and those things happen, it really like discourages us and, and, and frustrates us. Well, in his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear writes this. We often expect progress to be linear. And at the very least, we hope it will come quickly. In reality, the results of our efforts are often delayed. It is not until months later or years later that we realize the true value of the precious work we have done. This can result in a valley of disappointment where people feel discouraged after putting in weeks or months of hard work without experiencing any results. However, this was not wasted. It was simply being stored. It is not until much later that the full value of the previous efforts is revealed. He goes on to say that it is when you can persevere through what he calls this plateau of latent potential 
It is as you continue to persevere, knowing that what the work that you're putting in is going to bring about fruit, just like the bamboo is working, just like Daisy Robbie was working in her to bring about her dogness. The habits that we instill in ourselves that we work at to be like Jesus may seem like at the beginning doesn't have any kind of effect and maybe for a while. But if we can persevere through this plateau of latent potential, we too can experience these breakthrough moments to be like Jesus. You know, the San Antonio Spurs, one of the best organizations in NBA basketball, one of the most storied franchises known for their championships and their, their pursuit of excellence, have this saying on their wall in their locker room. It's, it's by a man named Jacob Reese, and this, is, and this is what it says. When nothing seems to help, I go and look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not that blow that did it, but all that had gone before. See, the work that we put in, the habits that we try to create as we emulate Jesus's life may be for a while may take longer than 40 days to see the fruit of that labor. But, but what, what Reese is telling us, and I believe what scripture is showing us, and what Daisy and Ravi have taught me, is that if we persevere, if we continue to persevere trusting in Jesus, implementing his habits, that we will see these breakthrough moments. We will experience the life of Jesus created in us. And so today we want to continue to look at these habits. We want to look at this keystone habit of committing to community because we see Jesus committed to community. If you would bow your heads and pray with me as we begin. Almighty God, we thank you and give you praise today. And we together sing your praises. We declare your majesty. We declare your goodness, your graciousness, your glory. And Father, it's in full acknowledgement of who you are, that we come before you today and we pray to mold us and shape us more into the image of your son. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, that my words would be your words, that you would teach us today and that all of us, including myself, would listen. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, one of the first things that we see is that Jesus himself is committed to community. He is committed to community. And we saw that in the text that we heard read earlier, that Jesus calling his disciples to him. But a question arises with me. It's like, so of all the people in the world, all the people that, that, that could have gone alone and been extremely successful, the only one that could have just done it on his own would have been Jesus. In fact, in some ways, don't you have to look at, at, at the disciples that he chose and when you see and read about them, don't you think that maybe they might have even held him back a little bit? And so the question becomes, why? Why is Jesus committed to community? When on his own, it, it appears like he could actually maybe do a better job of it alone. Well, I, I think in today's text and in other texts, we see that that's just not the case. While our instincts would be to just go alone or maybe to gather the best and the brightest around us. Jesus has a whole different plan. He's a much, he's, he's playing three and four D chess in this life. 
And, and we, as, as his followers, need to pay attention. And one of the texts that we should pay attention to is this text that you heard read just a few moments ago from Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, where, where we see that Jesus went up on a mountainside, we're told, and he called his disciples to him. And, and this is what he said, that they might come. He appointed 12, and he goes on to name who they are. And we learn something about some of them. But it says he calls them to himself. For what purpose? The first purpose, he says, is so they could be with him. Remember what we said earlier in this series, the whole purpose of learning to be with Jesus is for the purpose of relationship. Why? Because he desires to be with us. Jesus called people, he committed to community because he wanted the disciples, he wanted others to be with him. He wanted them to experience him, to live with him so that he could teach them what true life is about. Why did Jesus commit to community? because he wanted others to be with him. But he not only committed to community to be with them, he wanted to actually teach them and to instruct them for a purpose. Remember, so all of our doing for God flows out of our being with God. It's not that we never do anything, but the first important part that we said last week is that it's about being with Jesus. It's about being spending time with God. And that's what he says here, for the purpose of going for the purpose of preaching, for casting out of demons, for doing the work that God is going to equip you to do. But the first order of business is actually so that we could be with him. He commits to community to be with us. But I think there's also another reason that he commits to community. I believe it's essential to his character. I believe for Jesus to do anything else would have been uncharacteristic for God. Let me explain it this way. If you turn to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. And then he tells them to go and to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth and to go in his authority. See, we read here that God himself is in community. Because I ask you a question, when he says us and our, when he says let us make man in our image, in our likeness, who is he talking about? Well, some of you have been taught, I think rightly so, that, that when he's talking about us and our, he's speaking of God. God, as we're told in Scripture, is one God but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, three persons is a plurality in, there's a community in the Godhead. So God himself exists in community. But I also believe it's bigger than that. Because scripture teaches us that it's not just God there at the beginning. We read in Job and we read in Jude and Peter that, and elsewhere throughout scripture, that there were heavenly hosts there. We know that before God created the physical universe, according to scripture, there were angels and there were seraphim and cherubim and other spiritual beings that God had created. God had a spiritual community that he existed in and ruled in before he created you and I. 
God existed in community. It is an essential characteristic of who he is. Not only is he a community, but he exists and lives within a community. And so then we're told that then we are made in his image. And if we are going to be made in his image, would we not be community people? We were created to live in community with God and with one another. In fact, in Genesis chapter two, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. So I will make a helper for him. See, God had created the heavenly beings and other beings to be with them. And he himself was in community with himself and with the heavenly beings. And then he creates man, but he goes and creates other mankind so that we are not alone. We are hardwired to live in community because we are created in the image of God. We too are communal creatures. We too exist and are created for the purpose of living with one another in community with God, with the heavenly host, and with our fellow man. We were created in the image of God, but we were also created to go and go as the image of God. God tells Adam and Eve, and he tells us, as Jesus tells us, to go and to be his representatives, to go in his image, carrying his image, but in his image. And to do that, we do that together. We are communal beings, and, and we do that, as we read in Ephesians, as we grow up together, as we exist together, as we mature together, we go representing God communally. Because it's as we do so, as we experience him in community, we share him in that same community. Because it's as we do that in community, I think it's only in community that we truly experience the fullness of God or closer to the fullness of God than we can experience alone. It was C.S. Lewis in an essay titled On the Loss of a Friend that opened my eyes to this truth that I see in Scripture. And I want to share this, this with you. He writes, In each of my friends there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles, that's Charles William, a friend of his, dear friend, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald, that, that, that's J.R. Tolkien, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which man, no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us has of God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Isaiah's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. Do you hear what he's saying and what we see? Is that God, yes, created each of us in his image. And, and we experience him in that relationship individually. 
but it's together in a community that we experience other perspectives, other views of God that I can't have on my own. I require other people to give me a unique vision, to give me a fuller picture of who Jesus is. And I would argue that what we see in Scripture is much more diverse than what we see on Sunday mornings. A, a diverse community of, of black, brown, white, yellow, all mankind together worshiping God as we sing holy, holy, holy together and forming one another the fullness that is God. We were created to experience God in community because it is in that community that we help and, and teach one another and show one another where we can experience a fuller picture of who God is. And it is only in community that we can do that. But I believe also that we were not just created to experience God in community. We were, experience, we were created to experience God with one another, but we were also created to share him as a community. Because it is as a community that we give the world a fuller picture of who Jesus is. See, it's only in community that I get a bigger picture, a more complete picture of who God is that I so desperately need. Because it's as I understand him better, he informs me who I am, why I was created, my purpose, the fact that I am hardwired for community and I was not meant to go alone. He then informs me who I am. And it's in those two things that then I, it changes the way I see, think and act toward the world around me. And then what we see as a community together we better represent God to the world. They, the people that do not know him, get a fuller picture of who he is, a better expression of, of God when we do that together. Now, that doesn't mean that we always go lock, stop, and arm with one another. Or we have to go as a church. But we do go as a church. Even when we're called to go alone, we don't go alone. We go with the spirit of God in us. We go with the support and the love and the knowledge and the encouragement and the instruction of the church, of the community that God has called us into. We are never alone. And then when we do, we come back and we share that good news or we share that news with the people that are eager to hear the news because we're in community with one another. Tell us what you see. Tell us where you shared God this week. Where did you see him this week? And we gather on Sunday to sing his praises, to tell one another about the fullness that is God. And it is in that community that we truly experience a fuller, more rich, robust picture of who God is. See, you and I were created to be like Jesus. And to be like Jesus, we need to understand that we were first and foremost created to be in a in a community and in a relationship with him, with one another and the world around us. And how we do that is informed by him, which is why being with him is of utmost importance. And, and when we do that, we understand that we were called to be and also to commit to community. So our challenge this week is commit to community, commit to being an active member of this community for the purpose of better understanding who you are, a better understanding of who God is and what he's created us to do here in this place and around the world. What an adventure. Commit to community.